Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we know that you have um, gifted your church to be able to do the things that you've called us to do. Help us to understand this passage so that we have a greater vision about how wonderfully you have served uh, the church, your body, uh, through Jesus in what you have given us so that we may serve others and live as servants of you. Amen. Uh, well, when I go on holidays, um, I love to return to my, my first love. The thing I, I love is epic fantasy novels. Anyone love epic fantasy? Like the big, thick ones. That's what I like. The thicker, the better. Uh, so when I go on holidays, I love to take a few of them. And my last holiday uh, back in May was no exception. Um, I had a whole bunch of them, uh, three or four new ones that I took with me. Uh, and one of the books uh, I really enjoyed, um, but then the main character I, I kind of really liked, but also was kind of really annoyed by it at the same time. And I finished the book and I was like, why? Why do I feel so conflicted about this character? Um, and then suddenly it occurred to me. The thing about this character was he was good at everything. And he was a little bit too good at everything. Like... He was just brilliant. He was um, super strong, super wise. He was the magician's apprentice, you know, the classic magician's apprentice character. So he's super good at magic. Uh, everywhere he went, every challenge that he, he faced, he, he achieved with ease. And not only that, on the, end of the other end of the challenge, he just ended up being stronger than he was before because he picked up like a, a new spell or uh, a new power or a new language or something. And so the more and more you're going to go, I just go, I just can't relate to this guy. He's just too good at everything. And it made me think about well, what makes for a really good novel, not just fantasy, but any novel. I think what makes for a really good one is when you uh, get a bunch of characters who actually aren't perfect. Sure, they have strengths, they, um, but they're strengths that you can relate to, like boldness or curiosity. But they also have weaknesses, and they're weaknesses that you can relate to as well. Uh, things like, you know, some fear, <laughs> indecision or grief or loss. But what I think makes an even more powerful story is when you get characters with their strengths and weaknesses and have the story bind them together into a team, into a fellowship if you're a Lord of the Rings fan. Because what happens then is you see that actually together they're stronger than they would be apart. They complement each other. And they go and they, they get a shared purpose, a shared mission. And that shared mission turns out that all their separate gifts and abilities come together to make the mission possible. I think this resonates with our life as well, right? Uh, as, we, uh, as our lives progress um, into relationships and careers, we, we naturally look for ways that uh, our strengths might be useful. And it might be as part of a, a workplace as we join work teams and we, we bring certain gifts and, and talents to that. Uh, it might be as part of a marriage or a family as, um, as two people are more complement each other uh, to make a home together. It might even be um, as part of a sports team or, or you, where you, you learn that different positions and different physical abilities actually go together to win a match. There's something about diversity in life that is great. It's something we actually really enjoy and value and something that's really exciting as well because when a fellowship is just kind of humming together, there's something beautiful about it, isn't it? 
like a well-oiled machine. Well, our series is called How Church Works. It's diving into what is this thing we call church and, and how does it work in the week to week? And one answer to the question, how does the church work, is it works like this. It works when each individual member understands what it is that they are uniquely offer to the community. The term the Bible gives this is spiritual gifts. What are spiritual gifts? Well, a spiritual gift is a particular strength or ability given by the Holy Spirit to Christians for the strengthening, for the building up of the church. Say that again. The spiritual gift is a particular strength or ability given by the Holy Spirit to Christians for the strengthening and building up of the church. Uh, the New Testament talks a fair bit about this. Actually, there's uh, four different lists of spiritual gifts. And it should be up there on the slide, actually. In Romans, 1 Corinthians, Ephesians, and a tiny little one in 1 Peter 4. Uh, and when we look at these gifts, I, I won't have time to kind of go through them all in detail. The Q&A is there for if you want to ask particular questions. But what it shows us is that there's a bunch of different gifts, and each of the lists only somewhat overlaps. Some of the gifts are the same, like we see um, gifts of teaching in a number of them, um, gifts of, uh, of, of encouragement in a number of them. But actually, there's a whole bunch of um, not overlapping. And what I think this means is that we shouldn't see these lists as being this definitive, exhaustive list that we just kind of have to pick one from. But it's a point of saying that actually God gifts his church different abilities and strengths and different times for different reasons. Um, and, and that's how he works. And so it's not about trying to find your special magical ability. It's actually figuring out how has God wired you specifically. And, but these uh, lists are helpful because they, they name a whole bunch of the main ones. Okay, so uh, let's dive into these things we call spiritual gifts. And I've got three parts to my sermon to help us track through. Uh, first part is for the good of others. Second, body pains. And third, healing from the head. Okay, so for the good of others, body pains, healing from the head. So let's start with for the good of others. Uh, so one of the biggest passages about spiritual gifts comes in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which Campbell read out for us before. Uh, it's part of a, a bigger section on spiritual gifts, um, for whole three chapters that Paul devotes um, his letter to. And the background of this letter, Corinthians, is that um, news has reached Paul that the church in the city called Corinth is not going well. Things are a mess. It's full of factions, full of divisions. It's dysfunctional. It's just, it's not a pretty picture. And so Paul writes to, into this situation of this uh, dysfunctional community. And what actually happened is uh, these people had become obsessed with spiritual gifts. That is all they were talking about, thinking about. It was a big deal for them. Uh, but the thing was, instead of understanding these gifts as part of a whole, something that they can use to work together, what they were doing is they were becoming involved in all sorts of rivalry and one-upmanship. Some people were going, my gift's the best. Others were going, no, mine is. Others were going, your gift, that's not as good as what I have. And a whole bunch of stuff was happening. And it was really bad. 
So Paul writes to set them straight. He, he wants to warn them that not only are they missing the whole point of what the church is for and how it works, but their community is in real danger of being torn apart. So what does Paul do? Well, the first thing he does is he writes to remind them that God's purpose for the church is always unity, never division, always unity. Let's look at our verses 4 to 6 together. So there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. And there are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. Notice these, these um, repeated words, different, 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 along with same, same, same. What it's saying is that, uh, sure, the church should be diverse. There are lots of different kinds of people, so there'll be lots of kind, different kinds of gifts. But the gifts are all given by the same God. And God is by very nature both one and many. This is actually one of the earliest statements in the New Testament where we see the Trinity at work. This idea, this um, ancient idea of, of the church, of Christianity, that God is one God, but three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. There's this idea here in Paul's writing that the church is meant to reflect what God is like. His gifts to the church, God's gifts to the church, are to be used in harmony with one another because he is a God of harmony. They're meant to be unifying things because he is a God of unity. So unity is the grounding for how the church should operate. It's what they should be striving for and that's what they should be working out of. So if that's the grounding of the gifts, that the church should be unified, Paul then goes on to say what the gifts are for. What's supposed to spring out of this unified body working together? We see in verse 7, uh, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Now manifestation of the Spirit is a strange way, um, strange words, but what it means is that the gifts are spiritual. They're not just kind of natural talents and abilities, but there's something spiritual about them. And that is that the Holy Spirit, part of the Trinity, is, um, is giving Christians particular wirings with certain strengths. And he's also teaching them how to use those gifts for the common good. That's the goal, the common good. Now, um, in our culture, we, I think most people assume that their resources, you know, their money, their time, their talents, their abilities, are, are mostly to be used for themselves, for their own kind of progression in life, and also maybe for their immediate family. But the Bible explodes that view. It kind of um, opens it up to say, no, actually, the things that we have been given by God including our strengths and abilities, but all other things as well, are to be used for the common good, for the good of others. Not that we shouldn't use them for ourselves because God gives them that we might be blessed too, but that blessing is meant to overflow into a, a common good. If we, as soon as we start thinking, this is mine, and this is, this is mine and this is for me, then we kind of start missing the point because we're forgetting who gave them to us in, our, in the first place. That God always gives us things 
so that we might be a blessing to other people. Now, there's also common confusion uh, about what common good means in, in the context of the church. Because a lot of people think that spiritual gifts are just a, a way of maintaining the church, right? So what do I mean by that? Well, uh, you might think that, well, I have a gift of administration. I'm just really good at finances and numbers and spreadsheets and stuff. So it's pretty easy then to get pigeonholed into being the church office manager. Because <laughs> that's just what happens. This is what you do. Or you might have a gift of serving, and so you kind of go, great, well, you can be on the morning tea roster. Or you might have a gift of teaching and go, well, preacher, clearly that's how it's going to work. And this is not true. Like These gifts are actually really important for those things. And morning tea, hospitality, and, and preaching, and, and, and office managing, all really important things. But it's only one small slice of what it means to use your gifts for the common good. They're necessary ministries, but it's a narrow understanding. Because the common good is, no, is more than just um, maintaining the church, just keeping it running week to week to week. It's actually about God's purpose for the whole world. The common good, the greatest good, is what God's plan is for the world. Every Christian is called to be part of God's plan to redeem and renew the whole world under Jesus. It's a cosmic vision. It's a huge vision. His goal for people is that they come to believe Him and, and come to have faith in Him and come to have abundant life in Him, to find forgiveness and a new start and a new hope. And His goal for the world is actual is renewal. His, his idea is not that the, the world will be destroyed and we'll just all be up in heaven with harps. His idea is a new earth, physically renewed, a paradise, no more war or sickness and death. So the future, for, in God's view, is a new people and a new world. That's the end goal. That's the vision. That's what we're working towards. And God's method of bringing about is really surprising. Because you think such a huge thing must, has to be accomplished in huge ways. But actually, God loves to use ordinary people, men, women, and children, to change the world. He doesn't just leave us alone and hoping that we'll just kind of muddle through. He gives us a mission and He gifts us with particular abilities and strengths to help achieve that mission, that vision. So in the meantime, with that vision ahead of us, the common good isn't just about helping each other out within the church, but it's allowing our gifts and abilities to overflow into our communities, into our neighbourhoods. The goal is to be a light in the world, to, to show the goodness of God in our city. Not just in what we say, but in what we do. Every spiritual gift is a living demonstration about what God is like. A gift of service is there, is to show how Jesus is the king who came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The gift of mercy is to show how God has lavished His mercy on us by not making us pay the price for our sins and for our rebellion, but who Jesus came and took them for us. Now, even a gift of miracles is not just to be, to be kind of fancy and draw attention to us, 
But when it happens, it's, it's meant to show that God is a God who is supernatural. He's outside of the universe and he can work in it in ways which defy understanding. So every gift, not just those three, but all of them, are ways of showing who God is. And individually we have these gifts, but together as a church, when they're being used in tandem, we get a picture of the fullness of God. The church is a living demonstration of what God is like. So you might look at Inner West here and our community, those who are committed, part of our family, and go, what a random bunch. <laughs> such interesting backgrounds, such diverse stories. And yet God says, no, it's not random. Every single one of you is placed on purpose to work as part of this local community. Paul says the very same thing in verse 18. But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. You are exactly where you should be. You might not always be here forever, part of our church. But right now, you are exactly where you should be. Um, When I think about spiritual gifts in our church, I always think back to a great story where I was just kind of sitting back and watching this unfold. Uh, you remember Neighbor Day back in March? We, our church um, decided that we we're going to have this uh, local picnic uh, and invite people from the neighborhood to come and just to get to know them and share our lives and enjoy some good cheese and wine. And I was kind of there and just kind of just sitting back and not talking to them, just kind of watching what was going on. Uh, and it was really interesting what was happening because I saw the different gifts at work. I saw people with a gift of, of evangelism um, going and talking to people and just talking about Jesus and talking about who he's, what he's like. I saw people with, serve, with the gift of serving were jumping in and, and making sure that actually the kids who were there were being looked after so that the parents could chat. And I saw gifts of hospitality at work, where some people were around the, the table with the, with the cheese and the wine, just making sure there's enough for everyone, making sure that the wine's poured and the cheese is cut up and there's enough plates and forks. And at the same time, I saw people with a gift of like pastoring, pastoral care, coming alongside someone who was having a really hard day and just needed someone to sit with and someone to listen. And I saw others with the gift of teaching, coming alongside some people and just talking through some of the tough questions of life, what life's about and how does faith work. And many others were, were at work probably that I couldn't see, but just a few there that were working in tandem. And we didn't plan it. We didn't give out job descriptions before the event. Say, so this is what you're going to have to do. God's Spirit is at work. And it happened. So that's just one example. But what, ha- what does it mean for a church to do this consistently, week to week? Well, first of all, we need to actually learn what our gifts are. We spent a lot of this doing this um, at our retreat this year. I know some of the missional communities have done it too. We need to learn what they are and how do we, how do, we do that? Well, there's no kind of set way, but you can ask questions like, what, are you, what am I good at? What do I have an affinity with? What do I have a, an easy kind of a relationship with? And what opportunities do I have? Do I have some specific opportunities that seem to crop up all the time? But a great thing to do is actually ask people who know you best. You can ask them and go, so what do you think my gifts are? Sometimes others have a better idea of what we're like than we do. And the second thing is a bit less common, and that's just not only figuring out what our gifts are personally, but actually figuring out what the people around me, what their gifts are too. Because when that happens, we start to work together, 
start to understand how each other's tick and how we can complement each other. So, it's kind of the purpose of spiritual gifts, that they're to be worked for the common good. But things go wrong, don't they? Mess happens that we see in Corinth. And sometimes the body of Christ gets pains. Uh, people often come up to me in the street um, and they say to me, Pete, because they know, they know me, uh, and they say, Pete, what's your favorite Avenger? Who's your favorite Avenger? It happens all the time, like daily. Um, and it's a good question. And it's one that I'm passionate about. Because um, I always smile and answer, well, obviously, Hawkeye. Hawkeye. Why? Because I love an underdog. And it's a bit ridiculous, right? You know the Avengers. You've got Thor, a literal demigod. You've got Iron Man, billionaire, playboy, philanthropist, genius. You've got you know, um, Captain America, super soldier. You've got um, the Black Widow, super spy. And you've got, well, the Hulk who's, you know, the Hulk. And then you've got Hawkeye, who's kind of good at archery. It seems to be a bit of a, you know, it just doesn't quite um, flatten out, does it? You've got these super-powered people, and then you've got a guy who's kind of good at archery. And this is, hasn't gone unnoticed to other people. I launched a bunch of parody videos about this. Even one on The Snut Show, the guy who plays Hawkeye, came on and, and sang a song um, that reminds everyone that I'm super too. <laughs> And another parody video, um, in the last battle in the Avengers movie, the great battle, uh, Hawkeye, he kind of runs out of arrows in the first 60 seconds and kind of sits the rest of it out. <laughs> They're kind of going, what's the deal? What are you doing? I'm, I'm out, guys. Sorry. <laughs> this dynamic was actually what was at play in the Corinthian church. Their obsession with spiritual gifts was showing that there became a... Uh, what should have been a thing for unity became a thing about going, my gifts are more um, specky and so they're better and your gifts are not as specky and so they're not as good. There, were, there was this inequality in understanding about their gifts. Some were being flaunted and others were being devalued. And so when Paul writes this chapter, his, his, his hope is that this problem will be fixed. And so he repeats himself a bunch of times. He says, there's one church, but there's many parts. There's, there's one God, but he's a diverse trinity. There's, um, there's one body, but there's many members. Not all have the same gift, but all are necessary. And so by the end of the chapter, he repeats himself so much, we kind of go, Paul, we get it, right? Why is, he, why is he so dogged about this one point? Well, there can only be one reason. It must be that even though we're, we're designed for unity around spiritual gifts, we tend to err towards disunity. We tend to make a hierarchy of them instead of having them work together as a team. And in this chapter, Paul develops this famous image of the church as the body of Christ. A body is made up of many members. Arms, legs, feet, toes, eyes, all sorts of things. But for a body to be whole, all of them have to work together. If, one, if an arm's not working anymore, then the body's not whole. There's something gone wrong. And so Paul uses this analogy to show that in the Corinthian church right now, the, the body, this body of Christ was suffering from ailments. It wasn't working the way it should. And in fact, two particular attitudes were acting like diseases, causing the whole body to malfunction. Uh, one of them was that some people were saying, I'm useless. Uh, if you look at verse 15, uh, now if the foot should say, 
Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not for that reason stop being part of the body. He goes on. What he's trying to say is that some people are saying, I've got nothing to offer. I wish I had their gift. If only I had their gift, then I would be valuable. Then I'd have something to offer. What they don't realize is that what the world might see as weak, God sees as essential. I remember once um, meeting uh, the son of a, of a pastor friend that I have, and his son's um, kind of 21 and has got severe um, intellectual disabilities and physical disabilities. Severe. Can't really, can't talk, can't really communicate much, um, is in a chair, all that sort of thing. And so some might look at this young man and go, in the church, he doesn't have anything to offer. And yet his dad and his church community looked at him and said, actually, he is a vital part. He is indispensable. Why? Well, actually, I looked at him and went, man, I've never seen such a gift of faith. He had such a strong, innocent faith in God. It was so pure that people around him just got encouraged. He couldn't say much, but what he did say was praises to God. It was amazing. It was beautiful. It was encouraging. He was at work in the community. The other um, uh, attitude that was saying was that, um, is that some people were saying, I don't need anyone. It's kind of the opposite. Some people were saying, I'm useless. Others were saying, I don't need anyone else. My gift is awesome. My gift is all-encompassing. It's kind of Lone Ranger Syndrome. Other people just get in the way. Other people, they just uh, muck things up. They get, it makes it all inefficient. If I was just in charge, if I just did things my way, then it would be great. Everything would work smoothly. I saw this happen once. Um, I, saw, I met a guy who was a gifted evangelist. In terms of like talking, um, you know, explaining the faith to other people, um, inviting people to church, none paralleled, amazingly gifted. And yet he struggled to be part of a church at the same time. Why? Because other people just didn't seem to be as hardcore as he was. And so he kind of skipped from church to church to church. Never could settle in one place. Always became frustrated with other people. Because the problem is that if you overvalue a gift, if you don't see it as being part of a body, then you tend to start undervaluing other people. And you become frustrated. Underneath both of these attitudes, both of these ailments, um, is something really devious. And actually, it's pride. And it's pride for both of them. Because if you undervalue, if you say, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm useless, what you're saying is, I know better than God. He didn't know what he was doing when he wired me this way. And what happens is that leads to envy, ungratefulness, pity, self-pity and laziness. But then overvaluing has the same problem because overvaluing, if saying, I don't need anyone else, is saying the same thing. It's saying, God doesn't know what he's doing when he put these people around me in this community. He didn't know what was he was doing when he put their gifts alongside mine. And so what that leads to then is arrogance and frustration, and resentment and discontent. So whether we're tending towards undervaluing our gifts, going, I don't, I'm useless, or, or tending towards overvaluing them, I don't need anyone, it's all the same problem. It's a heart problem of pride, and it leads to division and tore apart the Corinthian church, and it can tear apart others too. So how can we overcome this problem? How can we operate as God has intended to us? 
Well, actually, like with any illness or illness, we need healing. Where does the healing come from? Well, it comes from the head. Remember what I said about the, the perfect hero in my fantasy novels? There's something really attractive about a hero who's super powerful and can do everything who easily overcomes every problem. But at the same time, there's something really grating about it as well because if the hero is too perfect, then we feel like, well, we're not part of the journey. We're not part of the adventure. We're left out because we're not that perfect. Jesus brings these two things together. On one hand, he is the perfect hero who lived a perfect life without sin, who's everything we could never be. God himself made human but not like, made human like us, but not like us. Jesus' life shows him to be the most gifted person who ever lived. He perfectly reflected the character of God. Every gift, ability, and strength demonstrated in their fullness. He never used his power and gifts for selfish gain. He always worked for the common good. Whether he was serving or healing or giving or encouraging or teaching or prophesying, he did it for others and in fact in the end of course the most gifted person gave up himself gave his life along with his gifts to die in our place on the cross he for for a divided people he became pierced and died so that we could be forgiven and united and that's what happens in the next part of the story it's a surprising twist is when jesus rises again as the perfect king he brings his people with him. He says that through faith you get to be connected to me. Even though I am the greatest, you get to be part of the journey. You get to be part of me. You're not going to be left behind. In fact, I'm going to give you power to do my work in the world, to be my hands and my feet, to be my eyes and my ears. That's why Paul uses this image of a body. It's a way of saying, you are joined with Christ, the perfect hero, the most gifted one. And through you, his gifts get demonstrated in the day to day. You get to be part of God's mission to renew the world. So he reminds the Corinthians over and over again. He says, you guys have forgotten who the head of the body is, who the head of the church is. You've forgotten Jesus because healing, unity comes from him comes from the head. Because by being connected to Christ, our natural tendencies of pride and selfishness are transformed. Christ served us in such a powerful way that we're set free from our own selfish desires. We begin to see there's no real joy in hoarding stuff for ourselves and just going for me and my own. But we find out that true satisfaction and joy comes from self-giving not self-serving. Our connection to Jesus also reveals our connection to each other. In him we have become his body. And so in, in him we have also become his family, connected one to another through bonds of love and grace so that together we get to more clearly demonstrate what he's like. He's patient and gracious with us so we can be patient and gracious with each other longing to see how our gifts might be used to see God's kingdom come. And finally, in his death, Jesus has also rewritten the rules about power and weakness. Because his, he, he died in weakness. The cross is a symbol of weakness and shame. 
And yet through it, it, he accomplished salvation for us. And as a result, Jesus delights in using supposedly weak gifts to change the world. And so we get to share in his joy when those who are supposedly weak in our community get shown to be the thing that shames the strong, who are essential parts of who we are. No member of Christ's body is worthless because we are all connected to him who is worth everything. So we are the body of Christ. His spirit is with us. and His gifts are with us. So with the cross behind us and new earth ahead of us, we can work together for God's glory. Let's pray. Gracious God, we love to hear about who you are and what you've done for us. That you sent Jesus, the most gifted person in the world, to die for us so that through him we might experience connection with him, a new life of him, and a new purpose for how we should use our strengths and abilities. Lord, help us to put aside selfishness or self-pity. Help us not to overvalue, think of ourselves too highly, but also not to think of ourselves too lowly. But to see that all we have is a gift from you to be used for the benefit and strengthening of your church, for your purposes. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So, Q&A. Let's take some few questions. Yeah, great question. So the question is, um, uh, at, the, uh, at the end of chapter 12, Paul seems to go back on what he's saying. He's talking about how the Corinthians have developed this hierarchy of the better gifts and lesser gifts. And then at the end of chapter 12, he says, um, uh, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. <laughs> so that kind of doesn't make sense, does it? I think the answer is it's a bit of a tricky one and commentators do disagree. But I think what the answer is that that last verse there in chapter uh, verse 31 is matches with chapter 14 more than chapter 12. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, chapter 14, uh, so Paul has this amazing chapter on love, you know, the classic one, I often use at weddings, if, you know, if I speak in tongues of men and angels but have not love, I'm resounding gong. He goes through that and then chapter 14, he starts talking about another problem that's a separate one. And the problem was that some people were saying that um, it's an it's, it's a, it's a argument about gifts that are unintelligible, um, particularly tongues, so it's like kind of speaking in a heavenly language, and other gifts that are intelligible, like prophecy, teaching, that sort of thing. So his, uh, his, the verse 31 there, now eagerly desire the greater gifts, matches more with his argument in chapter 14 rather than chapter 12. His argument in chapter 14 is... Um, it's better for everyone to, um, to run, chase after gifts that are intelligible because they can build up the body rather than gifts that are unintelligible and that only really build up the individual. So it's a different argument that he's talking about. Um, the problem is that um, our verse 31 is in chapter 12 and then chapter 13, he kind of goes off on a tangent. But it's, it's a classic Paul tangent. He's going, okay, I'm going to talk about something. Oh, wait, first of all, though... <laughs> Let's talk about love. And now I'm going to come back to this again. Um, so uh, it's very clear that it's not a case of one-upmanship, trying to figure out whose gift is better. But there is something to be said that some gifts are more useful for building up the body than others, and particularly tongues. 
I can talk more, more about that after the service, but I think that's the answer. Another question? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, great question. So the question is around um, uh, the end of chapter 12 again, where uh, Paul says, and God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers. Is that a hierarchy or is that something else? And I think you're right. Um, I don't think it's a hierarchy. I think it's Paul... Uh, more, yeah, I think the, the context of mission is a really good one to point in. Um, that it's the apostles who go out and plant churches and, um, and uh, are sent out in that way. Um, and then the prophets come in to talk about, well, how can we, um, how can we live as God's people in this culture? Uh, and then the teachers come in and they teach God's word and train up. And, and then uh, miracles come in and the miracles, um, in this, particularly in that age, were useful for um, making the what the teachers were teaching plausible because it actually works out in real life, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that's a really good way. I think we shouldn't also, we shouldn't hold them um, too rigidly. That's exactly how it happens, but I think that is Paul's point. Yeah, great question. Thank you. Nino. Uh, no. Oh, sorry. The question is, um, does having a spiritual gift make you more spiritual? Um, I think Paul's pretty clear that all Christians have the Holy Spirit. So all Christians are spiritual because God lives inside them, in their hearts. He writes their law, his law on their hearts. He teaches them, he trains them, he transforms them. All Christians are spiritual. One of the outworkings of the Holy Spirit's presence is that he enables us to live in the world um, through particular gifts and abilities. So having a spiritual gift is not, doesn't make you more spiritual. It's just an outworking of what the Holy Spirit is already doing. Uh, and because all um, Christians have the Holy Spirit, all Christians are gifted. Well, I might not have made this clear in the sermon. Uh, all Christians are wired by God in certain ways um, as part of their being a new creation. All Christians. So there's not a case of some have gifts and some don't. Everyone does. It might be harder to see sometimes as in the case of the, the young man I talked about before, but everyone does. How do we encourage people who are struggling um, in the community, who might be overlooked or undervalued, to know what their gifts are and use them? Yeah. Um, well, you find the people with the gifts of encouragement. <laughs> no. Uh, well, we're all meant to encourage each other, right? There's, um, this is, it's not like the, the, gifts, the people with the gifts of encouragement are the only ones who get to encourage, right? We're all meant to encourage. So I think part of what we should be doing as a way of caring for each other is coming alongside each other, and particularly people who might be struggling to understand how they fit, and going, hey, can, we, can I just encourage you? This is what I see in your life. You know what? You may not think it, but actually I think you've got the gift of generosity. Because I've seen how, you've, how you treat people, how you want to care for people, how you want to give of your time and talents and finances for the sake of someone um, so sometimes it's a process and I think um, it's a wonderful thing to actually come for people to come alongside each other and do that um, and with people um, yeah I've been to kind of in with disabilities particularly because because they're often one way or another often um, devalued in society by going you don't have as much to offer as a um, yeah as other people so what a great opportunity for the church to go, actually, no, in God's eyes, you are essential. Essential to his plan and not a mistake. So it's a really beautiful thing to be able to do. 
All right, I might leave it there and hand over to Jamie.